Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And don't forget, we love your questions and we love taking time the last Friday of every month to drop a Q&A special episode podcast. Uh, so if you have questions as you've listened to us talk and discuss this, the Bible reading plan or that just come up in your own time of reading it, feel free to jot those down, send them into infogrove.church, or feel free to direct message us at the Grove Church Facebook page. And yeah. make sure you give us a like while you're there if you haven't done that yet either. Absolutely. So this week, uh, to kick off our Bible talk, we're actually uh, we're going to wrap up the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is a very long book. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's the longest of prophetic books. If not, him, them and, it and Jeremiah are... Uh, I think I think Isaiah is longer by maybe ten chapters. All right, there you but go. But I could be wrong. Who knows? But we well, don't do our research; we just talk. It's true. We just kind of mouth off when we come in. So bad. Um, anyway, so we're getting to the end of Isaiah, and the the chapter I wanted to highlight is um, the the last chapter, chapter sixty six. Um, and really, what I think is special about this is in the in the first few verses of the chapter, I think there's a really accurate distilling of. Um, really the essence of the book, I suppose, if you want to say that. So if you're reading through Isaiah, there's a ton of different things we can pick on to. Um, obviously, we, we've spent a lot of time highlighting Isaiah's call to ministry, uh, the Messianic prophecies, the prophecies of the downfall of Judah, mm-hmm. um, the, the mercy that God is showing, and the prophecies that you know one day um, Israel will come back to inhabit the land. All these different things are happening. And so really, what is um, the idea behind the book? And I wanted to read uh, Isaiah 66 verses... It's not just Jesus, people. It's not just Jesus. Isaiah 66 verses 1 through 4. And then just talk about it a little bit. So here's what it says. Um, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All of these things my hand has made... And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that which in which I did not delight. All right, so there's a couple different things in these chapters that I want to highlight. Um, the first thing is kind of this idea that God is not as concerned with the outward actions as he is with what is inside the heart. And that's a theme that we'll see in Psalms time and time again. Um, I forgot which Psalm it is, but it's the, the sacrifices of, of our God is a broken and a contrite heart. Is really Psalm 51. 51. There you go. Uh, way to be on the spot with that. I got you, bro. Um, but, and it, it, it's interesting because it, it's put forward here as well. If you look at the end of verse two, it says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So a few different things. I think the first two uh, chapters or the first two verses of this passage really highlight um, one of the main themes of Isaiah, and that is um, that the Lord is 
holy. The Lord is awesome. The Lord is is great. And I mean those in the actual senses of the term. Um, and he is sovereign over all creation. Um, that's a theme that we see all throughout Isaiah and, and, and obviously throughout the whole of the Bible that we, we know that God um, is in control. The next thing that we see in the at the end of verse 2 is this idea that um, God does not take kindly to, to hypocrisy. Um, and this is it's an interesting thing because I think sometimes we get we can get the word hypocrisy confused um, with meaning something it doesn't. So he's not talking about um, this idea of people who sin um, because obviously that's that's everyone. Um, it's all of us. You, yeah, you'll notice that he doesn't say, um, "But this is the one to whom I will look." He who is um, upright and righteous in every way, or you know, it, it, that's not the language that's used. It's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Or in mm-hmm. other words, the standard. Um, of hypocrisy is not, do you ever mess up? The standard is, um, does the way that you live match what you believe? Or I guess should say match what you espouse, match what you say. Um, and the issue in Isaiah's culture, but I would say in, in probably every um, Jewish and Christian culture throughout history, is that um, there are people who would, and he says it, right? There are people who go and they slaughter an ox and they sacrifice a lamb and they present a grain offering. They do, um, they make a memorial offering in frankincense. They do all of these different things. Um, but God knows that that's not actually how they live. They don't live mm-hmm. their lives pursuing the Lord. They don't live their lives following his commandments, but rather um, they just make a show of these outward things and then don't actually make an effort to pursue the Lord um, in private or even, I guess, outside of the temple yeah. in general. So that's that's really what he's getting at there. Um, and I would say the final part of these verses is verses 3 through, three through 4. Um there's judgment coming for those who have rejected God. And those are kind of the main themes of Isaiah. If you look through it, you'll see woven all throughout the book is this idea that God is holy, God is powerful, God is sovereign, that God um, is not as concerned with the things that we do on the outside as he is concerned with. Or I guess, that's a weird way to say it because he, God is concerned with how we treat others, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's not concerned, I guess I should say, with um, the symbolic aspects of following him as much as he's concerned is, is your heart behind the symbolic action mm-hmm. and that's really what it's that's really what it's about and then finally that for those who have rejected God and Isaiah is saying that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom have rejected God that there is judgment that will be coming mm-hmm. and that's um it's woven all throughout the book of Isaiah I think it's a really helpful way um, to be able to look at the book as, as as we wrap it up this week yeah and I would um, and this is maybe me getting on a soapbox or whatever but one of the things that has always I've always struggled with, and as I catch myself struggling with it, uh, it actually kind of, like, it lies a fire under me in the sense of, like, we can hear that and see, like, okay, there's judgment coming for those who reject God, and then we make it our personal mission and vendetta to tell everybody they're going to hell. That's not the heart of the book. That's not the heart. I don't even think that's God's heart. I think God's heart is like, hey, listen, there's judgment coming. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to respond to my grace and mercy. Right. And and I believe the Father's heart, which we all should be embodying because we're creating his image, we're followers of Christ, it should require, it should lead us to response in kind where our hearts are then broken for those who are going to be judged. Our hearts are then broken for those who have rejected God. That's what Isaiah models. That's what Jeremiah models. That's what the the, the prophets who are speaking to a rebellious and hard-hearted people that's their that's their response. They're they're hearing what God is saying, and they're not just saying, "You're going to hell, turn or burn." And it's like, and this is an era of Christianity that I think we missed it back in the mm-hmm. I don't know what the '90s when I was a kid, um, but it's still prevalent in a lot of our lives today. And so um, I would caution us to hear them like, "Well, judgment's coming for people. Sucks to be them." Yeah, and I think there's I, 
it's funny now that you mentioned it. I realize like I really did miss the boat actually on saying that um, another the last theme of Isaiah I would say is this idea that um, there is always mercy. Yeah, and, and that is I just I don't know why I didn't think to put that down, but yeah, like even when you see the passages of judgment, all these different things. Um, a good chunk of Isaiah is devoted to God saying, after these things happen, you will come back into the land. You'll be able to do all these different things. I think that's the hard part of reading the prophets. Right. Is there's so, like, especially the major prophets, the, the, uh, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations, which is Jeremiah, still Ezekiel, and Daniel, those are major prophets, uh, because they're so vast in in chapters, but the, the, they're so they're so huge. Um, and so it's hard to, to see a big picture of, of the heart of God in these judgments and in these prophetic utterances from these prophets, um, and I and so I wasn't totally saying that you missed this. I was just oh, just, I know. there's was part just of me that I, I just I want us to be careful not to 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 hear or read scripture and be like man, there's judgment coming for those who are rejecting God. Therefore, I'm going to make it my personal mission to then point the finger and say you're going to hell because you're rejecting God. I don't think that that's the right response. I think it should be a compassionate, broken-hearted man. Man, if you don't change your ways, there's a different in approach. There's right. a different in tone and and response. So anyways, like I said, it's probably more of a soapbox that I'm getting on, but I just I just want us to be careful as followers of Christ to be like Christ. Because look at the different interactions he had, and we've seen that through the Gospels, and I hope we never forget about that in the Gospels, and I hope we always get to revisit it in the Gospels. Yeah. But and I can't remember what book it is, but maybe you'll be on the spot with this one too. But it's, uh, um, your kindness leads me to repentance. And oftentimes... That's we David. Can, I think that's David saying it, isn't it? It's a it? psalm. I, I think, think so. I, I, my heart said psalm, so I wasn't sure. I think it but, is a psalm. Um, it's your kindness. It's your loving kindness that leads me to repentance. Yeah, I'm pretty and, sure that's a psalm. Yeah, and the idea there, I think, is just like even as Christians today, um, it's it's usually it's usually not very fruitful uh, to lead with judgment. It's usually yeah, very not fruitful to lead with um, the incredible love of God, and then yeah. through that, um, obviously, you take sin seriously. But um, being able to expose someone to the incredible mercy of God and yeah. in, in painting a full picture of that. Yeah, and I think there's even a portion in the New Testament that I think we're going to address because I think it's in 1 Corinthians. Um, but Paul even makes this, this draws a line in essence that within inside the family of Christ, there is accountability and judgment that comes with that. But those who are outside the family of Christ, we're, we're not called to judge. And that's where we get the different picture right. of the gospel. So anyways, there's, I mean, we can go on and on and on about this simple topic, but I just think it's important to, like the heart of God in Isaiah, even as Evan was saying, is there is wrath coming for those who reject God, but it's not him saying, well, you screwed up, you're done. That was a snap if you heard it, it was awesome. That's pretty awesome. Um, but it, it's, let me be patient and loving, and that's the entirety that we see in the book of Isaiah. Um, and, and so I'm gonna jump into the, the next highlight in the book of Acts, because like I said, we could talk forever about that, or I could at least. Um, and I'm just gonna, there's just one verse I wanna, I wanna read, and then I'll, I'll, co I'll combine it with another verse, but it's just Acts chapter seven, which is where we're gonna start this coming week. Uh, with the, the reading of Acts in chapter 7, verse 58. And it says this, it says, they dragged, this is regarding to the religious leaders, they uh, take Stephen and they're accusing Stephen and they put him before the Sanhedrin to get, uh, in essence, they want him, they want him punished for being a follower of Christ. They want him punished for doing, you know, creating sideways energy uh, and those different things. But the crazy thing is that with Stephen, um, he is stoned. He's martyred. He's killed for his faith in Christ. And, and this is where we pick up in verse 58 of chapter 7. You'll read this, but it says, They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments, and this is the part I want to take a moment and, and kind of set us up for this week. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we, we're going to see, starting, this, starting today, starting this week, this journey of Saul, who will then eventually become Paul, 
And I think he's a pretty hot topic. So I think many of us listening to this probably know this this conversion in Acts chapter nine that that Saul becomes you know a Christian and he has this encounter with Christ. But I think it's important to recognize Saul's history and where he comes from because this really is the beginning of Paul of Paul's ministry. This is where it started as a young man, a Pharisee, a very strong leader uh, within the the religious world and the Jewish culture. Uh, but we see his dirty laundry as a lead persecutor of the early Christian church. Um, we see this authority. We see we see he has authority because individuals are laying their garments at his feet, which is a sign of honor and it's a sign of approval that they're looking to gain um, from from Saul or the, the religious leaders. Um, and then it continues on as we look through the Book of Acts. We'll see his antagonism towards the early Christian and early Christ followers. Um, only then to become an influence of Christ. And, and smack dab in the middle of these two portions is, is an interaction with Philip the eunuch, uh, Philip and the eunuch, not Philip the eunuch, um, but Philip being transported to, to hear someone's uh, reading, a eunuch's reading, an Ethiopian eunuch is actually reading the book of Isaiah, uh, and then he gets baptized because they come by a pool of water. So it's an incredible story, but Saul specifically I think is important because he was, I mean, he was, he was top dog. He was an up and coming young leader. He was someone that everyone was deeply respected and deeply watching and deeply following. And he says this in Philippians three verses four through eight, which we'll get through later in the year. Uh, but it says this: If anyone else, these are Paul's words, who was saw before, he says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law faultless. But whatever was an asset to me, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Saul was an individual who had the resume, the pedigree, and the stature to lead and influence in the church world like nobody else. And we see that started in Acts chapter 7. But then he comes back in Philippians after this encounter with Christ, and he says, all of those things that I could boast in I now realize are nothing compared to Christ. And as we read the early goings, uh, as we see these interactions, I think it's encouraging. I think it's challenging. Uh, and I think it's, it's worth taking note of this young man named Saul, who was a young leader who became a very influential force in the, in the Jewish uh, religious sect, has this encounter with Christ, and then becomes a chief author in the New Testament, writing it, I think, just about two-thirds. I think if I do my math right, if I remember the stat right or whatever, the breakdown. Uh, but wrote a majority of the New Testament that you and I get to read today. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a pretty incredible interaction and story to watch unfold. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess just to kind of keep it with Paul, um, <clears throat> our next uh, section of Scripture that we're highlighting is in Second Corinthians. And um, it's interesting because, like, again, with this Paul Bible, wrote this one too. He did. Uh, with this year's Bible reading plan, we're going through the New Testament twice, and so it is kind of fun uh, to go back through books that we've gone over and just kind of pick out passages that maybe weren't the first ones that sprang to mind when we were looking at yeah. the, at the chunks and yeah, kind of going fun. a little bit deeper. Um, and so this one I thought actually was really interesting. So I'm just going to read it really quick, and then we'll just talk a little bit about what it's talking about. And I think actually, um, without planning it, it, uh, it really does connect to what we were talking about to, to start off the episode. Uh, but it says this in uh, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. 
So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And so I think that um, in reading the scripture, it's a really interesting picture of, um, if you remember in 1 Corinthians, really it's it's Paul talking a lot about um, just the craziness that's happening, and he's telling the the pastors of the church, um, you need to you need to exercise discipline. Like you cannot allow people um, to just blatantly, unrepentantly sin like this. You mm-hmm. have to bring it into line. And then it's interesting in Second Corinthians, um, we really get this picture of what happens after that. And so we don't know who this person is. Um, I've read in in different commentaries and different ideas um, that it's one of the people in First Corinthians where. You know, the, their sin is great, and Paul's saying you need to discipline them, or it's someone who is basically a rival to Paul in the church of Corinth that they had expelled. Um, but either way, what we can gather has happened is that the church um, excommunicates a weird word, because I don't think that's really the heart of it, but basically they, yeah, they removed him from, from fellowship. Um, and then I think that there is just a really interesting part where it says, um, first, to such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Mm. And I think the the point that Paul is getting at, and it's a really practical point, I think, for all of us, but, but particularly for church leaders, is that the goal of discipline um, is to bring people back into the fold. It's not simply to just remove people, I suppose. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes there are legitimately people where... Um, they're not Christians. They're not interested in it. They're just kind of um, using in the church and doing terrible things. And it's just, it just kind of is what it is. But for this person, whatever, whatever the deal was, they, they removed him from fellowship. And then Paul is very concerned that like, okay, now that he's, he's been disciplined, there's clearly some type of repentance that had gone on here, or at least, you know, he's, he's very contrite um, mm-hmm. about what it, whatever had taken place. And he's saying, okay, at this point, turn and show your love to him and, and, and show forgiveness. And I think there's a few interesting points I wanted to make. Number one, um, this is exactly what we see in Isaiah, um, except it's God showing it to the people of Israel, that there's a punishment that happens, um, but God does not allow the, the people of Israel, God does not allow his people um, to wallow in their exile for, for, that, for that long, relatively that long, mm-hmm. before he begins to show them grace and show them mercy and allow to return back to the land. And, and in a similar way, um, God is calling us to treat others the same. It's not this instance where we just should celebrate wrath and celebrate punishment and celebrate discipline, but rather we are called um, to use those tools. And the ultimate goal for any relationship um, should be to bring that person um, back to God, bring that person back to the gospel, and, and that should be our heart as Christians. And something important to keep in mind, like, and again, I, this is why I said it connects to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Um just, I guess, check your heart when, um, mm-hmm. when we're confronting people, um, which is a, which is a necessary thing at times when we're, when we're talking with people and we're doing all these different things, is your heart to prove that you're right? Is your heart simply to tear the person down or is your heart love for this person? Um, and I think that is what Paul is getting at, that our heart should be love for people. It should not just be simply to prove a point. It should not be simply to uh, just to exercise punishment for punishment's sake. Yeah, such a good challenge. I think even as I think about, I mean, I think of the context of Paul writing to 
the Corinthian church, there was a bunch of dysfunction. Um, and so as a pastoral and a pastor, pastoral, a pastor and leader uh, within the church context, it's such a great reminder. So uh, it's been a while since I've read that passage. So I'll read it again this week. There you go. Um, and then uh, we get to spend time uh, in, one, in one chapter in Second Kings and one chapter in Second Chronicles. Uh, and I was asking Evan if before we recorded uh, this portion that uh, I, I feel like I said a long time ago that we we're going to be wrapping up this, these two books, uh, and I stand corrected. We still have about three chapters in one and about four or five chapters in the other. So we're getting there slowly but surely. Uh, but the thing I like about this this uh, reading plan is it it does interweave the prophets. So the timeline, because it is that chronological order, it shows you that timeline with merging of all the different passages of scripture. So anyways, this week uh, between Second Chronicles and Second Kings, there's going to be one king that is the primary focus and his name is Manasseh. Uh, and so really, I just want to jump in and read uh, two different uh, accounts or the different portions um, regarding Manasseh. So Second Kings 21 verses 1 through 9 says this. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Uh, his mother's name was Hefziba. Hefziba. Uh, I'll go with it. Sure, I'll, I'll allow it. Uh, he did what he, it was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the de- detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. So in other words, he reverted way back uh, to a throwback that he shouldn't have. Um, it says, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed and reestablished the altars of Baal. He made an Asherah, uh, as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed and worshipped all the stars in the sky and served them. He built altars in the Lord's temple, where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where I will put my name. He built altars to all the stars in the sky, both in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. He sacrificed his son in the fire, practicing witchcraft and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Manasseh set up the carved images or image of Asherah, which he made in the temple that the Lord had spoken about to David and his son Solomon. He said, I will establish my name forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. I will never again cause the feet of the Israelites to wander from the land I gave to their ancestors, if only they would be careful to do all I commanded them, the whole law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. Manasseh caused them to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And it continues on to talk about God's punishment and God's um, wrath that's being poured out because of Manasseh and his leadership into a, I mean, he swung the complete opposite way. We just got done talking about Hezekiah and how righteous of a king he was and the great things that he did. And now this guy named Manasseh who's an idiot. Um, pardon my French, but yeah, he just was, he just was really bad. But then we come to Second Chronicles where, and the reason why I want to read this portion is because the heading for this in, in the version of, of the Bible I was reading, it says that Manasseh's repentance. Um, and it says this, I want to read Second Chronicles 33, 10 to 17. It says, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they did not listen. So he brought against the, them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze, bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. When he, was in, when he was in distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He, grant, he granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem, to the kingdom. So Manasseh came to know the, king is, the Lord came to know that the Lord is God. After this, he built the outer wall of the city of David from West Gihon into the, in the valley to the entrance of the fish gate. He brought it around the Ophel, and he heightened it considerably. He also placed military commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He removed the foreign gods and the idol from the Lord's temple, along with all the altars he had built on the mountain of the Lord's temple and in Jerusalem. 
and he threw them outside the city. He built the altar of the Lord and, cover, and offered fellowship and thank offerings on it. And then he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. However, the people still sacrifice at high places, but only to the Lord their God. So it's this crazy picture of a king who does evil, and then he suffers harshly for it. And then he cries out to God. And again, it goes back to God's mercy. God's, uh, he's rich in mercy It's and almost patient. like that's a theme with this. I know, who would have known? And that's not planned, so that's the best part. But um, I just thought it was such an interesting, as, as, as 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles hyper-focuses on this one king this week, um, he's so far gone is how I would view it. Uh, but God is not too short-handed where he can't reach them in the, in the outer depths of stupidity and rebellion. And so uh, I just love the story. I thought it was a pretty incredible one, uh, and I wanted to highlight that. Which, yeah, it's it's really interesting that we that you ended up picking this one to talk about because um, I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day. Um, shout out to R.C. Sproul, who is, who is dead, but he's awesome. <laughs> so And they still release his sermons on uh, Renewing Your Mind. Um, but... Uh, it was t- it was an interview with someone who was uh, writing a commentary for the book of Ecclesiastes, and he was actually contrasting, um, or I guess I should say comparing, uh, Solomon with Manasseh. Huh. And he was saying how interesting it is um, that both of these kings just do wicked things. Um, Solomon, obviously, a little bit less uh, so, but they both turn their backs on God, um, and then at the end of their lives, they they repent. And it's, it's just a, yeah, like you said, it's a beautiful picture of... Um, of God's mercy in, in the midst of what could be a really terrible situation. Yeah, so I just thought as we read it this week, uh, obviously you're going to read it in its entirety and its detail. Um, and even though I just read a bunch of it, I thought it would be fun um, just to take a moment. I mean, now that we've not been in Second Kings and First Kings and Second Chronicles and Samuel and all those books, it, it kind of gives us, it gives me a kind of a relief and a moment to step back in to this history uh, of God's. God's people and the Israelites and the the kings and the leaders and how bad they are, uh, and at the end of the day, like I said, just to reiterate, like there's there's never a point where we're too far gone, um, where God can't reach us in the midst of even yeah. our rebellion. And so, uh, total application for you: if you have kids, if you have family members who are stepping or falling away from the Lord, don't relent, don't don't stop believing for the sake of a song in my head now that God can't hear you <laughs> yeah, uh, and God's not going to work. In don't give it. up hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the final book that we want to read uh, or that we're going to talk about today is uh, the book of Nahum. And so Nahum is really interesting because it's one of, I would say in the minor prophets, there's books that we, uh, that are kind of famous and we know like Jonah is a great example yeah. of it. And then Nahum is one of the books that's a little bit lesser known, um, but it's also kind of, um, the counterpoint, or I guess you could say the the other side of the coin to Jonah. And so Jonah, if you remember, I can't remember when we read through it, but it wasn't it wasn't super long ago. Um, and really, it's a story about a prophet that God had called to go to Nineveh, the the capital city of Assyria, and uh, to tell them to repent. And then the people of the city repent, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden God spares them. And Noah is... Uh, Irate. Yeah, he's not... <laughs> so mad. He's not... He's like, where's the death and destruction? I knew you were nice and considerate and caring. That is one of the greatest lines in the scripture um, when Jonah is complaining about the mercy and the, the steadfast love of God. I knew you would God. do this. I knew, I knew it. I knew you wouldn't. Sounds like a spoiled little brat. Um, but anyways, um, Jonah, who is long dead at this point, um, perhaps is happy in his grave because Nineveh does get their comeuppance. And so, we just don't get um, to see that in Jonah. Anyways. Yeah, it's about 100 years later that Nahum the prophet is, is, um, is prophesying. And f- 
we're not really told what happens with Nineveh, but what we can, I mean, I would assume what kind of happens is that they repent for a season. Um, either that generation dies off or the people who repented, it wasn't necessarily genuine, but I, I would kind of think that it was a genuine repentance because God showed them mercy. And then um, after that generation dies off, uh, the nation of Assyria again is attacking Israel. They end up overthrowing Israel, um, the northern kingdom, and then they're attacking Judah, and they're basically conquering Judah. Judah still exists as a nation, but they're paying uh, a heavy amount of tribute mm-hmm. to the Assyrians. And so Nahum is called by God to prophesy, and this time it is not um, a message of repentance to Nineveh, but basically it's like, okay, that was your last chance. It's over now. Um, and so when you read through Nahum, it's, a, it's yeah, just basically keep that in mind. It's a really... Um, it's the fulfillment of the punishment that God had promised in Jonah in the sense of like, this is what will happen if you don't repent. It is now all coming to fruition, which I think is, um, it's, it's really interesting. And so, and just to kind of fill you in on the history, cause I think sometimes we read the prophets and we don't think, um, it's hard to have the context of what's yeah. actually happening. And so, um, at the time Nahum is writing this, Israel is uh, not Israel. Egypt is kind of a shadow of its of its former self. Um, Thebes, I believe, is the city that was overthrown, um, which was kind of one of the great cities of Egypt. Um, and then the Babylonians and the Medes uh, were two different nations that were constantly um, at war with Assyria or constantly rivals, I suppose I should say. Um, and they actually kind of form an alliance to just go and take out Nineveh. And so there's a, there's another city that was the Assyrian capital. I can't remember the name of it, but it is conquered. Um, so they moved the capital to Nineveh and Nineveh is, uh, just completely wiped out. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it does not exist today. It still ruins, um, yeah, it's unlike a lot of these cities that you hear about in the Bible where you can actually go to them. Um, and obviously they're very changed, um, but they've they've continued to exist. Nineveh is it's not one of those. It's toast. Yeah. It's over. Um, so it's just it's just one of those really interesting things about God's wrath being poured out. Um, and it really is punishment for even though yeah. um, they were raised up um, in a sense as a power. God allowed them to do what they did to the people of Israel. That still doesn't mean that they get to escape uh they get to escape the punishment of that. And so that's basically what happens. And then as we'll keep, we'll keep going into the old Testament, obviously throughout the whole rest of the year, but um, keep those names in mind. Babylon, um, that's going to be, it's very soon. They will be coming up as one of the main players. And then also Mm -hmm. the Medes and the Persians, which are kind of like combined a little bit, Um, but they will be um, the main players other than Israel outside of it. And so the the one, Absolutely. The one passage I wanted to highlight, which I think is just, um, it was just interesting, is the very last chapter of Nahum. It's only three chapters. It's a very short book. Um, you could probably power through it in a day if you wanted to. Um, I don't remember in the plan if we power through it in a day or not. But I don't know either. Anyway, um, the, last tri- the last title, the title I have in my Bible is Woe to Nineveh, which is obviously uh, kind of a forecursor of the things that are going to come. Um, but the part that I thought was really interesting is in verse eight, it says, are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart, a sea and her water, a wall Cush was her strength in Egypt too. And that without limit put the Libyans, uh, put and the Libyans were her helpers. And she be, yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces in the head at the head of every street for honored men. Lots were cast and all of her great men were bound in chains. 
You will also be drunken. You will also go into hiding and you will seek a refuge from the enemy. Um, and really it's just, I know, I know that kind of sounds like Evan, why are you reading that? But, um, but the idea here is, um, it's, it's God humbling another nation. And he's saying like, and remember at the time Egypt is the great power, Mm -hmm. um, that had existed for thousands of years. Um, I actually read the, this is a total side note, but I thought that was really interesting that, um, the amount of time that passed between the building of the pyramids to Cleopatra is greater than the time that has passed from Cleopatra to modern day to give you an idea of, wow. to give you an idea of how long Egypt had been around and how long wow. Egypt had been a power. Um, so anyways, take that for what you will. If you're a history buff, you're like, your jaw just dropped. I read it the other day. It was really interesting. Um, hopefully that's impressive. It's, hopefully that's great. That's great. Anyway, if it's not true, you can blame Evan. It's Wester true. Uh, but anyway, all, all of that to say, I think it's just this really, um, this really cool picture of God just kind of saying to Assyria, a nation who I assume had probably, um, gotten very full of themselves. They had been on conquering sprees. He's like, you are, you are not gr- a great power. You are not greater than mm-hmm. I am. Your kingdom is coming to an end, and just like just as soon as you came on, in, in the grand context of history, Assyria, just as soon as they came, they also kind of went. Yep. Um, it's just one of those things. So that's, I guess, it's kind of a downer way to end the podcast. But that's how that's how we're ending it today. Yeah, but nothing <laughs> so, is greater than God. Absolutely, boom. Uh, but yeah, that wraps it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website at grove.church. And don't forget to leave us a uh, five-star review on whatever application you are listening on. It really helps get uh, the word out there and grow this community of people reading the Bible together. We'll see you all next week.